Hi, I'm Karen Hamilton. Hi, I'm Jonathan Ellis. I'm Jean Anderson. Hi, I'm Lisa Bird. I am Lorraine Woodward. And you, are listening. And you are listening to ADA Live. Yo. Hi, everybody. Good afternoon. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, I want to welcome you to Episode 78 of ADA Live. Hi, everybody. I'm Barry Whaley. I'm the director of the Southeast ADA Center. And before we move on, listening audience, I want to remind you that you can submit your questions about the ADA at any time at adalive.org. We have a guest host today. Her name is Karen Hamilton. Karen is the coordinator of the North Carolina ADA Network. Uh, that network, uh, the North Carolina ADA Network is an initiative of the North Carolina Council on Developmental Disabilities. And Karen is joined today by four people who have disabilities, Jonathan Ellis, Jean Anderson, Lisa Bird, and Lorraine Woodward. July 26th of this year is the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, or the ADA. And as part of our celebration, ADA Live is celebrating the March theme or topic for the month, which is disability awareness. So in today's episode, we're gonna learn about living life with a disability with our guests. We will discuss how cerebral palsy, traumatic brain injury, intellectual disability, and muscular dystrophy affect their lives and the changes they'd like to see in their communities. So Karen, welcome. I'm glad you're here and we'll turn it over to you. We are just so happy to be here today. We have North Carolina representing. <laughs> oh, let's begin our discussion about cerebral palsy. And sometimes you'll hear that called CP. Jonathan, who is a person with cerebral palsy, is here with us today. Uh, Jonathan, what do you want our audience to know about cerebral palsy or CP? Most of the time, cerebral palsy is a condition that you have as a result of a birth injury. CP uh, causes you to have specificity that affects your motor function. And sometimes your speech CP is not progressive, and you have a normal life expectancy. And Jonathan, what are some common barriers for people with disabilities or people with cerebral palsy when you're out in the community? What are some barriers for you? I have difficulty. Accessing businesses, for example, lack of ramps causes me not to be able to go in stores with my wheelchair. As a person in a rural community, most people with CP do not have access to accessible transportation. Oh, thanks, Jonathan. Uh, well, while we're talking about barriers, what are some barriers to employment for someone with cerebral palsy? Employers do not realize 
that people with disabilities want and can work. There is lots of stereotypes about people with disabilities. It is hard to even get an interview. I started my own business, so employers and community members at, at the like that know what people with disabilities can do. As a matter of fact, I am an ADA trainer and I received my ADA coordinator certification back in January. Oh, that's fantastic, Jonathan. That's, that took a lot of work. And I also know that you've been doing training at your community college. Uh, once a month, you meet with faculty and others to talk about a different ADA topic every month. Is that correct? That is correct. Jonathan, how can businesses, employers, and uh, your town uh, be more accessible and inclusive to people with cerebral palsy? What are a few tips that you want to share? I have two, as a matter of fact. Accessibility improvements typically cost less than $500 and will bring your business more, more people with disabilities. Improving your business bottom line it's important because we we are able to spend more money in your business and it's a good good investment employers also need to know that people with disabilities are more likely to stay on the job if hired well, that's great. Those are, those are really good tips. Uh, as this is the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, what impact has the ADA had on your life and in your community? There has been improvement in accessibility in my rural community. I can now visit my downtown area of Murfreesboro, North Carolina, in my wheelchair. There are more curb cuts, accessible parking, and businesses are becoming more accessible. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I have just one final question. And where could our listening audience learn more about cerebral palsy and the supports that are available to you? I would visit Easter Seals, or you could also visit the United Cerebral Palsy Association. And the United Cerebral Palsy Association is a national organization, so someone from any state could contact them. Is that correct? That is correct. Fantastic. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Next, let's discuss traumatic brain injury, or TBI for short. Gene Anderson, whose son has a traumatic brain injury, as here with us today. Uh, Gene, tell us about your son, Sam, and how traumatic brain injury impacts him. Sure, Karen. Traumatic brain injury can affect anyone at any age, 
at any time. It can range from a very mild injury. Most folks refer to that as concussions, though they are finding that concussions can have long-lasting effects, uh, to a catastrophic brain injury, which can leave someone in a locked-in syndrome where they can't move or speak. That's the condition that Sam has, something that we deal with you know, here in our home 24 hours a day. Brain injury can affect you both physically, emotionally, and intellectually. Most people do find that all three of those areas do have lasting effects. Sam lives here at home with us. He's my youngest son. I have seven children, and he's 33 <laughs> at this point. It's important to us that Sam lives here with us as part of our family, that he's viewed here as a person, not a patient. When we look at Sam, we see Sam the brother, Sam the son, Sam the college student, Sam the fisherman, Sam the guy who likes to drive the tractor. Uh, we see Sam the uncle. And his disability, though present, for most of our family, who now is, is our grandchildren, that's just, that's who he is. I think it's important to recognize people for who they are, not what their disability. Just like other families, we have family gatherings. We participate in activities. You know, we like to go out to movies, we go out to eat, get out into the community, we like nature. So something that's very important to us is the accessibility to those activities. Our desire is for others in the community to, to recognize Sam and other people with disabilities as just members of their community. I'm very much about community inclusion. I think everyone is, is made better. And you're right. We're all, we all benefit from everyone being included. We all learn from each other. Jean, uh, you've already mentioned some of these, but what are some common barriers or issues for people with traumatic brain injury and in their families? It used to be that many people with a severe injury didn't survive the accident or didn't survive uh, a hospital stay. Now we have more and more people who are moving out of facilities and surviving their accidents and are, are living within the community. It's important that they have access to enough health care. In years past, a rehabilitation stay might have been three to four months. Currently, most people experience a rehabilitation stay of two to three weeks, and then they're sent on to either home or a nursing home. It's very difficult to return to rehab. Just when people are getting that point of recovery, it takes time. And so unfortunately for many people, just when they're beginning to recover, uh, their insurance or you know whatever healthcare they have ends and they have to leave rehab. And, and that's just a shame. There's a lack of respite care for families. It's not really due to the lack of provision. It's due to the lack of staffing ability. There's not enough qualified people to fill the positions that are open, and especially for home care. Aging parents is another issue that many folks are facing. I know that's becoming a, an issue in, in my home. They may have been caring for a family member for 15, 20, 25 years at home, and as they age, they, they need more and more assistance, and they don't know where their child is going to end up. Uh, there are not sufficient um, community programs in the state, uh, and 
I know neurobehavioral and neuromedical uh, residential programs are very, very difficult to to find. In fact, many of the people that I speak to on a daily basis are completely unable to find uh, appropriate assistance for their family members. Jean, what are some common barriers in your community for people with traumatic brain injury and their families? Well, I know in my family, you know, we live in a rural community. We are fortunate in that we have our own transportation. But for folks who don't, accessible transportation that's timely uh, and convenient is non-existent. The ability to participate as a family in all of our activities is something that we really strive for. And if, if we're going somewhere completely unfamiliar, I will either call or sometimes we'll go visit like a church and just see what the lay of the land is so that we have some idea, you know, what to do when we get there, um, you know, where to sit and what accessibility issues we may be facing. Another barrier that we face is the lack of adult changing facilities. We have carried a folding massage table in the back of our van. Should an emergency arise and we need the clothing change, the only other choice tends to be the bathroom floor. So we're we're very um, proactive as far as, as trying to influence different venues, you know, that have a large number of visitors to provide these facilities. You know, Jean, thanks for sharing about the need for adult changing facilities. We know the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, really covers the minimum requirements for accessibility, but more and more we're hearing about the need uh, for adult changing facilities. And in fact, here in North Carolina, one of our airport has adult changing facilities and the uh, North Carolina Museum of Natural Science has installed a, an adult changing table or bench uh, in their family restrooms. So uh, people are becoming more and more aware of that issue. So thanks for sharing about that. The purpose of the Americans with Disabilities Act is to make sure that people with disabilities have the same opportunities as everyone else to participate in the mainstream of American life. In your community, what's one accessibility feature that's most helpful for Sam and your family that you enjoy using? One of the things that we have seen a change in over the last 14 years has been in movie theaters. It used to be that the person with a wheelchair would sit completely separately from family. And we've noticed a change that now we have inclusive seating so that we can have family sitting on either side of, of Sam. Uh, and he's just part of our group watching a movie like everybody else. And that's something that we, we really enjoy. Um, that's a, a, one of our favorite activities, and it really makes a big difference in, in his life and in ours. Well, that's, that's a, um, something that I've enjoyed with some of my friends. So that's, uh, I'm glad to see that's happening in theaters everywhere. Uh, mm -hmm. One last question, Jean. Can you share with us at least one national resource that people could go to to learn more about traumatic uh, brain injury? Well, nationally, the Brain Injury Association of America uh, can give you information on your uh, local state branches, and they're a very good informational clearinghouse. Thank you so much for sharing all that information. There's so much to share. We could just have, you know, each person do an entire episode by themselves. So I know there's so much that we want to get in. Uh, so, so thank you for sharing some highlights today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Karen.
So ADA Live listening audience, if you have questions about this month's topic or any other ADA Live topic, you can call 1-404-541-9001, or you can submit your questions to our website. That's adalive.org. We're going to stop now and pause for a word from our featured organization, the ADA National Network. The ADA National Network provides information, guidance, and training on how to implement the Americans with Disabilities Act, otherwise known as ADA, in order to support the mission of the ADA to assure equality of opportunity, full participation, independent living, and economic self-sufficiency for individuals with disabilities. Funded by the National Institute on Disability Independent Living and Rehabilitation Research, NIDILRR, the network consists of 10 regional ADA centers located throughout the United States and an ADA Knowledge Translation Center. Each regional ADA center focuses on its region's unique needs. This regional focus is critical to ensuring the ADA National Network services meet the needs of a diversity of populations and stakeholders throughout the country. To find out more about the ADA National Network and or to determine your particular regional ADA center, please visit ADATA.org. Great. Thank you. And as a reminder, uh, the Southeast ADA Center is one of those 10 centers that make up the ADA National Network. Uh, welcome back, everybody. We're speaking with Karen Hamilton, Jonathan Ellis, Jean Anderson, Lisa Bird, and Lorraine Woodward about living life with a disability. Karen, I'll send it back over to you. Thanks, Barry. Well, next we have Lisa Bird, and she is a self-advocate. And she's going to talk to us about people with intellectual and other developmental disabilities. Yeah. Um, hey, Lisa, how are you doing this morning? Good. How are you doing, Great. Karen? Great. Uh, well, Lisa, what is a self-advocate? Self-advocacy means you have rights in the world and you have rights to stand up and believe what you believe in and don't want anybody imitate you. And you have rights where you want to live. You have rights to get married and have rights to have a relationship. Lisa, I know that you live in Durham, North Carolina, and mm -hmm. out in the community. Uh, what are some things that you enjoy doing where you live? Sometimes I enjoy volunteering in my apartment complex, help them with the food bank, being the fire captain on my floor, help pass out the flyers, help my neighbors. What do you like to do for fun? Where, what kind of places do you like to go to do fun things? I like to go to the mall. I like to go shopping, and I like the bake. Lisa, how can businesses out in the community where you live, for example, a coffee shop or grocery store, how, what do they do that makes them really accessible to self-advocates? What makes successful for self-advocacy? Because they welcome them in, they say hello. Accessible for wheelchairs and walkers. Okay, so they have physical accessibility <clears throat> too. Yeah. What are some things that sometimes are barriers for our, for people with disabilities or self-advocates when they visit a, a, a business out in their community? Well, what barriers is like that sometimes they're not friendly, they're not this and that, and they go back and call the manager and the manager should make it very friendly for them. 
to be in that place so they can keep going back and back and back because they're like that place. So attitude is a big barrier, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I think that's a barrier for everybody, isn't it? Yeah. We all want people to be nice. To mm -hmm. <laughs> the, let's talk a little bit about working and money. Uh, why is it important to earn your own money? Important to own your money because you, you have self-confidence in yourself. When you get a job, you feel really, really happy and really good about yourself. And you're confident. And you're just like, yeah, yeah, I made money today. I can go spend that money for a CD. <laughs> so you could contribute to the local economy. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> the, uh, when we were talking earlier, you also said that when you earn money, you also do what else? You get paid. You you can buy clothes, makeup, jewelry. And I remember earlier you said you could pay your taxes. Yeah, pay your taxes. That's right. What keeps self-advocates from getting jobs? What keeps self-advocates getting jobs is not enough jobs out there for us disabilities out in the world. And people don't want to hire us because they're liable. They think we're liable. We're liable, and they think we're liable on their insurance. And they're afraid we might get hurt on their job site. They don't want anything to do with disabilities, and that's wrong. We can show them what we made out of. So sometimes people see you <coughs> as a liability, or mm -hmm. like a for their insurance, for example. Mm -hmm. And that's not necessarily true, is it? Mm -mm. Why are self advocates good employees? Why self-advocacy good employment? Because you can show the boss what you're made out of. You can show the boss you can do it. We, we can do this. You cannot tell them, no, you cannot do this. But we here and make the voices here. Make them understand what we can do, what we're liable, what we're capable of doing. Wait, we've talked about work. We've talked about doing things out in the community. What about friendships and relationships? Uh, why mm. is that important to you? Uh, friendship is very important to me out in the community because I have lots of friends out in the community and it's very, very important. And I have, I'm in a relationship and I advocate for myself to have my boyfriend to live with me. And it's great to have a relationship as a disability. Nobody can take any rights away from you. They try to take rights away from you and you keep on fighting for your rights. The bottom line is we all want to live, work, and love and yeah. where we live, isn't it? Mm -hmm. This is the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities mm -hmm. Act. Um, what does the Americans with Disabilities Act, how has it affected your life? It affected a lot in my life. It helps me, guide me out in the community and makes me more stronger than I've been. makes me very strong today as a woman standing up what I believe in. So what kind of things have the Americans with Disabilities Act, what kind of things in the community, have, what are different, what's different uh, because of the Americans with Disabilities Act? What difference is you go to different places, you find them and they're successful. And American ADA helps you, guide you on that successful. So it makes the community more accessible. Mm -hmm. What's some examples of accessibility? <clears throat> The more example accessibilities like hotel accessibilities, um, restaurants, uh, concerts, plays, they all make accessible 
what would make a restaurant accessible? What's an example of an accessible what feature? What makes accessible for a re restaurant because they have a ramp for a walker and wheelchairs, and that makes it very accessible. And the waiters and the waitress are very helpful and very accessible. Finally, what do you want our audience to know about self-advocates? I want our audience to know today about self-advocacy. They can learn on the website or they can look .com, American ADA Act on the website, or they, they can say, oh, wow, I heard such and such a great conference. Maybe I should go to that conference, learn to be a more advocate and more successful out in the world. I know that you have participated in many Americans with Disabilities Act or ADA trainings mm -hmm. through the North Carolina ADA Network and mm -hmm. also, also through the Southeast mm -hmm. ADA Center. And you mentioned their website, then, mm -hmm. and we looked that up earlier so we make sure we remember it's adasoutheast.org. Okay. And uh, you also can call them if you have a question and that's mm -hmm. important for self-advocates who might not be able to use a computer. Mm -hmm. I know that you were a member of the, a council member for the North Carolina Council on Developmental yes, Disabilities. Is that a place that people could find out more information about self-advocates? Yes, they can. Uh, are there councils on developmental disabilities in other states? Yes, it's, uh, course 50 states is this uh, council development disability course 50 states. Okay, so there's a, a council on developmental disabilities in every state, and people can get more mm -hmm. information about mm -hmm people with intellectual and other uh, yeah. developmental disabilities there. Or they can go to some of the self-advocacy meetings courses in the United States of America. Like, like so say Butler has a self-advocacy group they can pop in and look what the meetings are all about and get more training. Self-advocacy groups are all over the country, aren't there? And there are other mm -hmm. lots of different if you call your 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 council on developmental disabilities, they mm. probably can connect you with self advocacy groups near yeah. you. Well, is there anything else you want to share with us today? No, that's it. All right, thank you, Lisa. Finally, we have Lorraine Woodward, uh, and she's here with us today. Uh, Lorraine is a person who lives with muscular dystrophy. Uh, welcome, Lorraine. Uh, Lorraine, tell us a little bit about what muscular dystrophy is. Muscular dystrophy is the deterioration of muscles in your body. I think people will be surprised that muscular dystrophy is not one disease. It's a category of diseases. Um, there are over 40 different types of muscular dystrophy. I have limb girdle muscular dystrophy, and it's the weakness in my arms and my legs. The other thing that um, with muscular dystrophy is the onset. Sometimes it's an early onset. I was diagnosed at two and I'm now 58. So I've had MD for 56 years. And so it's a way of life. There's been a lot of awareness on ALS and that dystrophy is a later onset in your 50s. And so um, it does happen at different points in time. What's amazing is the research and the changes um, that have happened over the last 50, 60 years with muscular dystrophy. I remember early on when I was diagnosed, my early years were spent going to the hospital 
looking for treatment. There, there is no cure. It's a deteriorating disease, but the quality of life has changed. You know, I'm a mom, a wife. I, I work. I'm 58, and I have MD. I think that's actually pretty cool. Thanks for sharing that. And just like you said, there are all kinds. Uh, people experience all kinds of uh, muscular dystrophy. So, what are some common barriers to accessibility in the community for people with muscular dystrophy? Or just tell us about some barriers for you as a person who lives with muscular dystrophy. Well, Jonathan stole my thunder because he mentioned like all oh, so many great, you know, barriers, particularly those that are related to mobility. So if it's muscular dystrophy or somebody who um, is in a wheelchair, uses crutches, a walker, um, we experience a lot of the, you know, issues pertaining to mobility. If it's a curb cut, um, getting on a bus, things like that. For me, a lot of it has to deal with attitudinal barriers of really looking at me as an individual. And um, a great example is I'm in a grocery store and I'm waiting in line to get a cut of meat and I'm sitting in my wheelchair and the person behind the counter will ask everybody around me what they would like. And I'm like, I've been here, I'm here. And they can't see me. And so it's important for me to communicate and use my voice to say, yes, I would like two pounds of, and so I can be heard. And Lisa did <laughs> a, a great job of experiencing use your voice. And I think a lot of times when you're in a wheelchair, like I am, my voice is, is very important. And with my voice, it is really educating people because that person behind the counter may not know because you can't see me that I'm there. And so a lot of times for me to make a difference in changes so that we can eliminate the barriers is to share, you know, what I'm experiencing so that maybe the next time the person behind the counter will maybe look down and see if there's anybody else or if I've returned. To follow up on that, Lorraine, I know that uh, you live in Carolina Beach, North Carolina, and you you work with the city to help their, your, that tourist community be more accessible. What are some things that Carolina Beach has done to be more accessible to people with disabilities and people oh with God. muscular dystrophy? You know, it's great. Carolina Beach and a lot of beach communities, you think, and my, I have two boys with muscular dystrophy. And when we built our house here, they were like, Mom, why are you building a house at the beach? We can't get on the beach. And, you know, for me, and I'm like, you're, you're right. We can't get on the beach. So now we have beach mats. So I can go on the beach and hang out with my family and my friends. And when my seven-year-old um, friend comes to visit and she wants to build a sandcastle, I can be right next to her and go, Ella, that's so cool. Now let's do this. Um, or if I just want to like watch the birds and listen to the ocean, I can do that. And again, that was by sharing and talking with the folks to say, what can we do to make this more inclusive? Um, what are the grades at the ramps to get onto the, the pier? And um, the town has, you know, really been open to changes, like getting to my favorite ice cream place. There was a curb that got between me and my ice cream. And so I went on uh -huh. Facebook 
I went uh, to the town manager. I went to the mayor. And you know what? I can now get to my favorite ice cream place without any trouble because they went and put a curb cut in. And it did not cost as much as they thought. And a lot of times changes aren't made because they don't know that, gosh, we can't afford that. We don't have the equipment to do that. And sometimes it may be cost prohibitive, and a lot of times it may not be. And again, it's that creating the awareness. And that ice cream was very important for me emotionally. So I'm a very happy person here at Carolina Beach. And I know that one of the keys is that people working together and just listening to each other and figuring out solutions together makes a huge difference. What about employment? I know that you've had all kinds of, of jobs on in the state and national level. Uh, what are some specific barriers for employment for someone who lives with muscular dystrophy? Sure, I am a graphic designer. I am a communication strategist. I actually paint canes. I do a whole lot of different things. And I think for people with disabilities and looking at employment, it's important to look at what do you want as a person? What um, are you able to do? What are your skills and your talents? And then what are those barriers that might get in the way for you to achieve your goals? For me, I remember early on in my career, I was interviewing for a job and I looked at the office. I couldn't get my wheelchair at the desk and it just required some lift to the desk so that I could wheel under. And so I know going into the interview, we talked about barriers and the barriers in place for me were a zero cost. Um, but I knew that because I had kind of, I, I researched, I knew what I needed. And I think that that is really important to, to first look at that as a person. I also realize as a person with a disability that sometimes I share my ideas with the audience that I'm around. And there are a lot of times people with disabilities. I once had a project with a company, IBM, on small business solutions. And I, I noticed that the audience that they were targeting were, was an audience that commonly starts maybe needing to use glasses their mobility isn't as strong as it used to be. And that these changes were really related to me as a person with a disability. So I went into IBM thinking, well, they know this. And I started doing disability education and they had never been educated on these things. And they thought I was brilliant. I happen to agree, <laughs> but it was more of, you know, sharing this information, which was an aha moment for them but a way of life for me. So again, you just never know what kind of change you can make in employment and in life when you share your story. Well, Lorraine, thank you so much for sharing uh, all this great information with us today. Lorraine, we were young professionals when the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed. What difference have you seen in the past 30 years in accessibility and inclusion of people with disabilities in the community since the ADA was passed? What's changed for me is way of life. Having two children with muscular dystrophy, they, you know, get annoyed if a parking space isn't right at the door. 
And I remember when there was no designated parking spaces, they get annoyed if there's not a button on an electric uh, door that allows them to push so that they can open the door. And I remember having to ask people to open a door. So the, the biggest change is what ADA has done for us over the years and that we have curb cuts. We have awareness and standards for employment. For my boys, it's a way of life. So what they look at is so different than what I look at. And I do look at it as a gratitude. I'm so thankful for ADA and the changes that we've made. And I'm also thankful for the ADA network and knowing that they will help move us forward to see more changes. And one final question, where could our, our listening audience go to find out more about muscular dystrophy and supports that are available? It's easy, mda.org. Okay, perfect. The, the Muscular Dystrophy Association. Uh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Lorraine. And thank all our uh, speakers this morning. You shared such valuable information. We could talk all day, but we'll have to end it here and we'll turn it back over to Barry. Great. Thank you, Karen. And, and Karen, I just want to say thank you so much for um, hosting today and for putting together such a, an interesting and accomplished group of people who bring, you know, their own unique perspective to disability. So thank you to Jonathan, to Jean, to Lisa, to Lorraine. I will never stand in the way of you getting to your ice cream, I promise. Listening audience, <laughs> you can submit questions or comments on this episode of ADA Live to adalive.org, and they'll be forwarded on to our guests for their response. This episode of ADA Live featured Karen Hamilton, coordinator of the North Carolina ADA Network, an initiative of the North Carolina Council on Developmental Disabilities, and she's also the Southeast ADA affiliate from North Carolina, so we really appreciate her work. She was joined by Jonathan Ellis, Jean Anderson, Lisa Bird, and Lorraine Woodward. As always, we thank you for listening in. All ADA Live episodes are available in various formats, including streamed audio, accessible transcripts, and on our website at adalive.org. You can also listen to ADA Live on the SoundCloud channel. Uh, you can download ADA Live using the podcast icon on your mobile device to search for ADA Live. Remember to check out the ADA Anniversary Toolkit from the Southeast ADA Center and the ADA National Network for our year-round celebration of the ADA's 30th anniversary coming up on July 26. The toolkit features monthly themes, logos, social media, and other resources to keep the celebration going at adaanniversary.org. If you have questions about the ADA, you can submit your questions anytime online at adalive.org, or you can contact your regional ADA center at 1-800-949-4232. Remember, all calls are free <clears throat> and they're confidential. ADA Live is a program of the Southeast ADA Center. Our producer is Celestia Razda with Beth Harrison, Mary Mortar, Emily Ruber, Marsha Schwanke, and me, Barry Whaley. Our music is from Four Wheel City, the movement for improvement. We'll see you next time. Yeah,